Well, Peter was the acknowledged leader of the disciples. He was dynamic and charismatic and a natural-born leader, but he was also impulsive and stubborn. The most famous story that we have in the Bible about Peter is uh, cringeworthy. That's because in it, Peter epically fails. Several weeks ago, we started this story, and it began during the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. He had just predicted that one of the twelve, Judas, who would be later identified, was about to betray him. And that was news that saddened everyone at the table. But then Jesus made another prediction. He said, every one of you will abandon me. Predictably, Peter was offended. Lord, he said, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Then adding, even if all the others fall away, I will not. Well, then Jesus added, Yet one more prediction, this time something specifically about Peter. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. As many of you already know, Jesus is right and Peter is wrong. So why did Peter insist that he had this? That in the end, he wouldn't fail Jesus? Was he lying? Now, I don't think Peter's problem was insincerity. He meant what he said. He was willing to fight. His problem was overconfidence. He was certain he could withhold the pressures that were about to come. And as it turns out, Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. And to his great grief, he soon learned how wrong he had been. Now, this wasn't because he hadn't been warned. A few hours before he caved, Jesus said to Peter and the others, he said, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation. But Peter was so sure of himself, rather than praying, took a nap. It's important for us to pause here for a moment. Peter did believe what he said. He fully intended to be the last man standing. But his mistake was believing that slogans and bravado would be enough. He had all the right intentions, and yet he failed. Which raises a sobering question for us. If Peter, who by all measures was one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, couldn't withstand the pressure and stand up for Jesus, how can we hope to? Which brings us to this week's story. And this is how Mark tells it. He says, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant king, uh, girls from the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You were also with the Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time, and then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster closed twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now, if we had more time, we could review some of the details around each one of these denials. But what's important to note here is that Peter... Did here. What Peter did here wasn't sudden. Now, sure, it happened over several hours, but if you look carefully, there was time that passed between each one of these accusations. A little while, about an hour later. 
Peter had the opportunity to think and consider what he was doing, and yet he did it anyway. You can't imagine a more complete failure than Peter early that Friday morning. This wasn't just a moral failure. This was a complete spiritual breakdown. Everything he'd been about, everything he'd committed himself to, he denied. For three years, he'd walked and talked and laughed and celebrated, even cried with Jesus. He'd gone public saying that even if it came down to it, he'd be the last man standing, even if it meant a fight to the death. And to one degree or another, we all know, though, what Peter was feeling. Something, we've done something, something we know we shouldn't have, something we once vowed we wouldn't do. It might be drugs or porn or anger or unfaithfulness or greed or laziness, something that has plagued us for a long time and yet we continue to give in to. It can be one of the sickest feelings of human existence. And that's what Peter felt. He'd totally and utterly messed up. The rest of Friday and on into Saturday must have been awful for Peter. All the disciples had deserted him, but he had denied him. And now Jesus was dead. Luke tells us that after Peter denied Jesus the third time, just as the rooster crowed, Jesus looked at him from across the room. He looked straight at Peter. Now, we can only imagine what that look was, although I don't think it was anger. I think it involved disappointment, but I think he also looked at him with love. So what happens next? Well, Jesus turns and goes to the cross. After seeing Peter at his worst, Jesus continues on the journey that he had, he had begun. He was willing to go to the cross for him and for us. I believe that Jesus sees us the same way that he sees Peter. He looks at us with an understanding of our faults and failures, and yet he's still willing to go to the cross, not just for Peter, but for us. To complete Peter's story, we need to jump ahead in the story, a story that we're going to look at more thoroughly over the next couple of weeks. Because you see, Jesus didn't stay dead. After spending all weekend in hiding with the other disciples, Peter was particularly broken up. All he could think about was how he had failed Jesus, and it was killing him. But then Sunday morning started differently. Some of the women who had been following Jesus went to the tomb to properly prepare his body for burial. But when they arrived, they found that the stone had been rolled away, and an angel told them that he was no longer there, that he had risen from the dead, that he was alive. And it was not long after that Peter himself saw Jesus. Now, I want you just to a moment, for a moment, imagine Peter's feelings. He's just heard from some of these women that Jesus is alive. And first, he's not sure to, whether to believe what he's been told. But if it's true, it's the most amazing news he's ever heard. And yet, where does this leave him? What will happen when he sees Jesus again? Because he knows that his failure was inexcusable. That Jesus would be fully justified in sending him away. So all he can think about is, could he? Would he? Would he be willing to forgive me? Let me back into the group. Love and accept me the way that he once did. What Peter wanted most at that moment was a second chance. Then he thought, no way. Not after what I've done. Several weeks later, Peter and Jesus found themselves together. And they were back at the place where they'd first met on a beach on the shores of Lake Galilee. At this point, Peter knows that Jesus wasn't going to kick him out. And while grateful that Jesus hadn't disowned him, he still assumed in one way or another that this had disqualified him from any future leadership among the disciples. After all, 
it screwed up too badly. It's then that Jesus surprises him. He says, Peter, let's go for a walk. Here it goes, Peter thought. Now he's going to let me have it, which is why he was so surprised by what happened next. I want you first, though, to notice who it is who reaches out. You see, it's not Peter. It's Jesus. Until now, Peter didn't know where he stood. So he must have wondered what Jesus wanted to say to him. Is this it? Is he going to give me the pink slip or worse? But Jesus instead asks Peter three questions. Actually, he asks him the same question three times, probably to mirror each of the three denials. He says, do you love me? Notice what Jesus doesn't ask Peter. He doesn't say, what were you thinking? Or, can you promise me this won't happen again? Instead, he simply asks, do you love me? So why that question? Jesus is simply asking Peter, do you want to be in a relationship with me? That's the message of the Bible, that God wants to be in a relationship with each one of us. He wants to forgive you, restore you, and the question is, do you want to be in a relationship with Him? By asking the question three times, the message starts to sink in, and suddenly Peter understood that Jesus was offering him a second chance. What sealed the deal is what Jesus says to Peter next. He says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. What's going on? Well, Jesus is first of all telling Peter, you've been forgiven. And by the way, so are we. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for every sin, every failure, every mistake, every screw-up, yours and mine. And then he tells Peter, get busy. This whole thing about feed my sheep, what's that about? He's telling Peter, get back in the game. Don't run from me. Don't run from the tasks that I have given you to do or, and will give you to do. Don't go back to your comfortable life. Instead, follow me where I lead. The message here is that sin doesn't have to have the last word. That God is a God of forgiveness, the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances, and 34th chances. Even though we can't change the past, God is the God of new beginnings, no matter how many times that they are needed. So we have a choice. Will we allow yesterday's regret to control us? Or will we allow God to renew us and give us a new future? So what then do we do about regret? Now, to be honest, regrets don't just simply disappear overnight. It can take a long time. Sometimes even then the scars remain. But the way to move forward is to give our regrets to Jesus, to receive the forgiveness He offers and trust Him with the future. Now, let me be clear about my hope for today. I do not want you to leave feeling hopeless. I'm not trying to dial up the shame. Sure, some like Judas are hard-hearted and unrepentant, but most people are not. What we need to understand is that while God wants our obedience, He also understands our struggles and graciously forgives. When you've sinned, one of the devil's tactics is to try to keep you down. Satan would love for us to wallow in guilt, to think that we're unworthy, stuck forever with plan B, to be powerless, to be used by God. And sure, we need to own our sin. There are many times that there will be consequences, but we should not believe Satan's lies. Some say that Satan's main objective is to try to eliminate guilt. But often his strategy is rather to use that guilt and amp it up to make us feel hopeless. The great tragedy of sin is not that it happens, 
But it's when Satan uses that guilt to strip us of any feeling that we can ever be used by God again. So when we sin, we need to hear that every sin we've ever committed, past, present, and future, are covered by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. When we confess, we need to know that we have a gracious God who cares enough to listen to our confession and relieve us of the burden of sin. And we need to understand that when we commit to live the life that He has has designed us to live, God intends to use us. So when Satan accuses, remember what Jesus says. He says, I love you. I'll heal you. I'll use you. So we can confess what we've done, commit with God's help not to do it again, and move on and let God use us because He will. Last week, we talked about Judas, and I have to confess that before I did my homework for that talk, I assumed, as many in history have, that Judas was the worst of all possible sinners, that he belonged, as Dante said, in the deepest, darkest, most horrific corner of hell. But what I discovered instead is that Judas is a lot more ordinary than I expected. Yes, he betrayed Jesus, and what he did led eventually to Jesus' death. But we also learned that Judas' decision was not inevitable. That Judas didn't start out bad. In fact, he had a great start. But somewhere along the way, he got off track and it changed. In other words, Judas' decision to betray Jesus didn't happen all at once. It was a gradual thing. And it was never, at least not up until the end, inevitable. But along the way, Jesus kept reaching out, kept offering Judas second chances, but he refused. It was only after Jesus was arrested And it was clear that he would soon be executed, that Judas had second thoughts. Matthew tells us, as we read last week, that he was seized with remorse. And as we said last week, does that mean that Judas repented? No, it doesn't. Regret, yes. Regret that his actions didn't work out as he had hoped they would, with instant fame and fortune and lots of attaboys from the religious leaders. Judas didn't repent. He could have, but he didn't. Peter, on the other hand, did. History tells us that he was overcome by guilt and went outside and wept bitterly. And now, a few weeks later, Peter's still uneasy, deeply sorry for what he's done. He's desperate for a word of mercy from God, from Jesus. Where Judas gave in to despair, Peter held out hope, however slim he may have felt it was. It was during his walk on the beach with Jesus that something significant happened deep down inside Peter. Before he failed, he took pride in being the guy who could carry his own weight, the guy Jesus could rely on to be strong and come through for him. When he failed, and while we shouldn't say it was good he failed, God used it for good in Peter's life. Before this, Peter was courageous and strong. From then on, he knew his desperate need for Jesus. Tradition is is that ever after, Peter always had a tear in the corner of his eye. He never forgot his sin, and it made him more tender-hearted, compassionate, and humble, someone God could use powerfully to grow his church. In the book of Acts, we meet Peter again, and he's a different guy, no longer as cocky and confident as he was before. Instead, his brashness has been replaced by something much stronger, by courage and faith and humility. Not long after Peter took that walk with Jesus, he preached to a large crowd in Jerusalem, numbering thousands. We're told that 3,000 people turned that day to Jesus, including some who weeks earlier had been involved in crying out for Jesus' crucifixion. If looking back, 
You are haunted, maybe discouraged by missed opportunities, ashamed of your failures, weighed down by the guilt of your sin. Turn to Jesus. Know that He loves you. Ask Him to heal you. And then get busy with whatever task He's given you to do. And know that He will use you. He used Peter, and He will use you and me. Would you pray with me? Father, we start by confessing the ways we have let you down, the ways we too have denied you in something we've done or thought of doing or maybe just haven't done. May we not hesitate to come back to you with humble and penitent hearts. May we confess our sins to you, knowing that you have already reached out to us in love with words of forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so it is in his name that we pray. Amen.